0: So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations. And this the 3rd of July. It's the 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is Jan Keeley. I'd like to welcome you again to another podcast here. and Come and See Inspirations from our Come and See studio here in Ardacan, Tullamican Island. I'm usually joined each week by my colleague uh, Shane Ambrose, but unfortunately Shane couldn't join us today. As we would have mentioned last week, Shane is currently on some work assignments out in west africa and unfortunately this week we just couldn't make the connection work so i'll do the best i can uh, shane didn't in fact sh- uh, um, record something for us and saints which would we are able to use this morning but in the meantime i want to welcome those listeners who are housebound lonely and struggling in some way who listen to us each week and support us each week in prayer and thank you so much indeed for that Just a reminder again, our podcast can be heard at comeandseeinspirations.buzzsprout.com. That's comeandseeinspirations.buzzsprout.com. At our blog, historical uh, programs are available to be heard back at sacredspace102.blogspot.com. That's sacredspace102.blogspot.com. We can also be heard on Spotify, iTunes, and of course on our Facebook page, Come and See Inspirations. You can contact us, if you wish, uh, by texting at 87 That's 87 That's 353 Of course, we're available on WhatsApp as well. And also, you can email us, if you so wish, on come and see inspirations at gmail.com. That's come see inspirations at gmail.com. Now, at this point of the program, uh, we usually have Shane join us for Saints for the Week, so we can listen back to what Shane recorded for us on his phone out in uh, West Africa and sent it on to me early on during the week.
1: And welcome to our uh, liturgical ozenins for this week. As John said at the top of the podcast, today, of course, is Sunday the 3rd of July, which is the 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time. For those of us uh, praying the Psalter, we're on week two. Uh, So, first off on this week's uh, calendar, we have this week, the 4th of July, is the feast day of Saint Elizabeth of Portugal. Elizabeth of Portugal is one of the royal saints that we're going to meet over the next couple of weeks. Uh, She was a princess married to a king of Portugal, um, who wasn't exactly supposedly a great guy at the best of times, her husband. daughter of King Pedro III, and grandniece also of Saint Elizabeth of Hungary, for whom she was named, had a very pious upbringing and was married at the age of 12 to King Diniz of Portugal. He wasn't exactly known for being faithful, and she worked and prayed uh, and suffered for him, uh, particularly domestic abuse and adultery. She was a mother of two, and uh, the king appears to have reformed later in life. Uh, though we're not sure whether that is because of Elizabeth's influence or because he was just about to die. Uh, she was known as a princess of peace because she worked to make sure her son fell out with his father and led to civil war in the kingdom and she intervened directly on the battlefield to make sure there was peace in, uh, in Portugal. She died in 1336 of a fever. On the 5th of July we had the feast day of St. Anthony Mary Zachariere. Uh, a saint uh, born to a patrician family, an Italian saint. His father died when he was two, his mother uh, was 18 when when her husband died and she devoted herself to her husband. He studied medicine at Padua receiving his doctorate at the age of 22. And while working as a physician to the poor he felt a call to religious life. He founded the Society of the Clerics of St. Paul, otherwise known as the Barnabites and and involved with such devotions as the Forty Hour Devotion. Then on July the sixth we have the feast day of Saint Maria Garetti. Now Maria Garetti is probably a saint some of our older listeners will probably familiar with. She was beatified in nineteen forty seven and only canonised in nineteen fifty by Pius the Twelfth. Um it's an interesting one. She was twelve when she died in nineteen oh two. Um she was attacked and he tried to rape her and she fought him off and he um, eventually tried to choke her into submission, and stabbed her a number of times. She survived in the hospital for two days before eventually um, passing away and um, generally held up as a martyr for the faith uh, and um, it was an interesting one. The guy that actually attacked her, Alessandro, uh, had a huge conversion later in life and was actually a witness and uh, for her cause of beatification as well. Then moving on, uh, so, sorry, going back a second to Maria Goretti, she's patron against poverty, again, for children, for girls, for martyrs, and for rape victims, actually, more generally. Then on Thursday, the 7th of July, we have the feast day of St Malrune, uh, founder of the first abbot in, I think it's Tala, in 769. Um, with St. Angus the Culdi, he wrote the Rule of the Cayley Day, uh, which was one of the first Irish rules for monastic life, very strict. and um, um, uh, so But hence the reason he's, his name has come down to us in the Martyrologies, in particular the Irish Martyrologies. So his he, he, feast day, he died in 791, and uh, his, his feast day is the 7th of July. On the 8th of July was the feast day of St. Killian. Um, born to Irish nobility, a monk at the monastery of High uh, might have been its abbot. Um, missionary with 11 companions throughout Gaul uh, to Waldersburg in Germany. Um, pilgrimage to Rome where he received papal authority for his mission and he was ordained a missionary b- bishop where he returned to Wurzburg in 687. Um, he inv- re- evangelized East Franconian and Eastern uh, areas in modern Bavaria in Germany and um, but unfortunately, his good work in that part of the world didn't really survive after him. Um, when Boniface arrived in that part of the world, he found evidence of his predecessor's influence. Um, but unfortunately, uh, they weren't uh, long-lasting. Unfortunately, his skull is still preserved, actually bejeweled, and possessed on his feast day, and as is a copy of his his copy of the New Testament. He was kept in Worsburg Cathedral until 1803 where he was then put into the University Library. He died as he was beheaded in 689 AD. And finally then, next Saturday, uh, on the 9th of July, it's the feast of St. Copra of Egypt at Martyr of Julian the Apostate. And uh, he was beheaded in Egypt in 363 AD. Just to remind people, next Friday, uh, that Friday the the, the Isn't actually sorry. The first Friday is the it's actually the first of July, which was last weekend. Sorry, so just a small bit of confusion on that one. So uh, that's what we have in terms of our celestial guides for this week, Jim.
0: So indeed, we want to thank Shane for sharing those saints for the week with us. And now we'll have this little prayer. We'll pray this prayer together. It's actually a prayer of Saint Francis of Assisi. We all know it, and maybe you can join me. In your own hearts, praying it this morning. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me show love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith. Where there is despair, let me give hope. Where there is darkness, let me give light. Where there is sadness, let me give joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not try to be comforted, but to comfort, comfort. Not try to be understood, but to understand. Not try to be loved, but to love. Because it's in giving that we receive, it's in forgiving that we are forgiven, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. So with that we go for our first bit of music this morning. Um, I've taken a piece of music this morning from uh, Mercy Mercy Me, the man Mercy Me, and this one is entitled The Word of God Speak. In part two uh, today, we can listen again to the third reflection uh, of Father Barron's homilies after Easter and the Book of Revelation. The reflection this morning is entitled, The Great Army of Martyrs. So join us again in part two. So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose And this week we continue listening to the book of Revelation by Bishop Robert Barron Giving us part of his Sunday sermons after Easter this year this reflection is entitled, The Great Army of Martyrs.
3: Peace be with you. Friends, all during this Easter season, we're reading from the book of Revelation, the marvelous and final book of the Bible. So I'm just going to be following these readings all during the Easter season. Years ago, when I was a doctoral student in Paris, I was in a seminar conducted by Father Michel Corbin, a great medieval theology scholar, a man that eventually became my uh, doctoral Dissertation director. And somehow in that seminar, the issue of imperialism came up, you know, the church being imperialistic and domineering throughout the ages. And Corbin said something, I remember his, his eyes kind of widened and he had a big smile. And he said, The only true imperialism is the imperialism of the martyrs. And everything really struck me, it stayed in my mind because he was saying, Yeah, in a way, the Christian church is imperialistic because we're meant to declare Jesus as Lord of all the nations. But we're not imperialistic in that worldly way, imposing ourselves through domination and through military power or cultural coercion. No, the imperialism that we exercise is that of the martyrs. And Corbin's line came to my mind as I reread this marvelous section now from the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation. You know, keep in mind, this book was being written at a time of enormous persecution. In fact, the author identifies himself as, as a, a prisoner on this penal island of Patmos. Think of these little Christian communities sort of gathered in the eastern end of the Mediterranean. They had no military power, they had no cultural influence at that time. They were beleaguered little communities under persecution. And who was the great power of the time? Well, undoubtedly, it was Rome. Rome, in some ways, at the height of its powers at this time. Rome dominating the whole Mediterranean world and going far north and going south into Africa. Roman power dominating. One of the extraordinary messages in the book of Revelation is, and coming from this little beleaguered community and this, this fellow writing from a penal colony, Roman power is no longer absolute. There's a greater power. The Roman army is no longer the dominant army. There is a greater army, and it's the one gathered around, the lamb standing as though slain. It's the army that belongs to the crucified and risen Jesus. It's a subversive message, but coming from a totally unexpected place. Not from a rival earthly power that's saying, hey, we got a bigger army than you, and I'm going to fight you on your own terms. No, it's coming from this completely unlikely source, but declaring that the Christian army is greater. You know, think for a minute, everybody. Uh, the image that comes to my mind is the opening scene of that great movie Gladiator. Remember with Russell Crowe, and uh, in the opening scene, you see the Roman army led by the general by Maximus, and it's it's coming out against this barbarian army in the German forest. But what the filmmaker allows us to see is the Roman army as this war machine. So well equipped with the swords and spears and armored with helmets and body armor, Um, but also with all the, the machines of war, all the catapults and fiery projectiles. And you see, wow, this Roman army this well-oiled war machine, you see exactly why it was dominating the world. And think of how these first Christians, Peter and Paul come to mind, martyred you know, by, by Roman power. But John is given now a vision in this chapter 7 which puts all of that into question, that proposes a whole different way of thinking of things. I'm going to read to you from chapter 7, just before what we have in the reading for the liturgy. But listen. I heard the number of those who have been marked with the seal, 144,000 marked, from every tribe of the Israelites. Then he goes through the 12,000 from the various tribes. An army of 144,000. It's the new Israel raised up and marked with a kind of tattoo on their foreheads. Now, that's a reference that we're not going to get, but in the ancient world, when you joined the Roman army, you were tattooed. You were literally marked in your flesh. You're marked, marked like a brand that you belonged to the Roman army. In fact, go back to, uh, to Gladiator. Remember, Maximus has this tattoo on his, on his arm. Well, here's John getting a vision not of the Roman army, tattooed with a symbol of Roman power, but this new army that's tattooed, as it were, with the seal, the seal of the Lamb standing as though slain. And then what follows —this is, what our, this is our reading for today, listen— After this, I had a vision of a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, race, people, and tongue. They stood before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. Now, the 144,000, you know, this great army, but then even beyond them, this enormous multitude that no one could count. And they're from not just Israel, mind you, but from all the nations of the world and speaking different tongues. Who are these people? Well, it's code again. We might miss it, but they didn't miss it in the first century. What are they wearing? White robes and holding palm branches in their hands. Those are both symbols of martyrdom, the palm branch. You can see it in depictions of the saints. In fact, I'm going to show you something. This pectoral cross that I wear, it has a depiction on one side of of St. Peter, the other side of St. Paul. But can you see it? All around this cross are the palm branches, because those two figures, Peter and Paul, were martyred. In fact, martyred by Roman power. What's being claimed here, everybody? I know all about the Roman army, the author of this book. Everyone in his time, they all knew about the Roman army. They all knew about its power, this great war machine. But now, in light of the Lamb standing as though slain, in light of Jesus crucified and now risen from the dead, they know there's a greater army. There's a more powerful army. And see, John, in his vision here, is not just looking around at his present situation. He's looking mystically across the ages, because you know, in his time, everybody was speaking Greek, maybe some were speaking Latin. But here he speaks of this, this crowd from every race and every tongue. There, there were Christian martyrs, to be sure, by this time, but there wasn't exactly an army of them. What's he seeing? He's seeing, as I say, across space and time, across the Christian centuries, all those people from all over the world who would give their lives for Christ, and they are the true victorious army. Go back to Michel Corbin. The only imperialism that's legitimate is the imperialism of the martyrs. It's this army of those who are slain for the sake of the Lamb that constitute real power. So, can we fill in this vision a little bit? Who are these people that John sees mystically? Well, you might think of you know Peter himself, depicted here. You might think of Paul. Think of Peter who was crucified upside down in the Circus of Nero. When you go to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and you see that obelisk in the middle of the square, that was in the middle of the Circus of Nero. People speculate if that's where, where Peter, in fact, died, that's one of the last things that he would have seen. You might think of Felicity and Perpetua some centuries later, these two women from North Africa thrown to the wild animals because they wouldn't renounce their faith. You might think of Sebastian. As I record these words, I'm in the middle of confirmation season, and I'm dealing with all these teenage kids, and they take names for confirmation every year. The most popular name for the young men is Sebastian or Sebastian. Sebastian, a member of the Praetorian Guard, a high-ranking Roman soldier who found Christ and then renounced the army and lived a life of nonviolence and paid for it with his life. You might think of Thomas a Becket, many centuries later, resisted his friend King Henry II's attempts to manipulate the Church and died at the hands of the king's henchmen. Go to the cathedral in Canterbury, see the very site where he was put to death. We might think of another Englishman some centuries later, another Thomas, Thomas More, resisted another King Henry, this time the eighth of that name, paid for it with his head. You might think of Paul Meakey, the great Japanese Jesuit martyr, who, like his master, was crucified, dying rather than deny his faith. We might think of the great Padre Pro during that awful time of persecution in Mexico, when the Church was just, was just was being stamped out. Padre Pro, after working uh, underground, undercover for a long time, finally discovered As the bullets fly toward him, he says, Viva Cristo And that's the same taunting cry, in a way, that that the author of the Book of Revelation utters. Yeah, I know about the Roman army, but there's a greater army. Padre pro, yeah, I know about the powers of the world, but I'm going to declare to you, Cristo Christ the true King. We might think, too, as we look at that vision that John gives us, this crowd that no one could number from all over the world in all different tongues. We might think of Franz Jägerstetter, the marvelous Catholic resister to Hitler who was decapitated for his troubles, or of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great uh, Protestant opponent of Hitler who died in the, in, the, in the waning days of the Third Reich. We might think of one of my great heroes, Maximilian Kolbe, from that same terrible period, the martyr of Auschwitz who gave his life in exchange for a man he barely knew. Colby saying simply, I, I'm a Catholic priest, take me in his place. The list goes on and on. Oh, it's a crowd that nobody could number from all different races and tribes and tongues. John is not just seeing around him, he's seeing mystically across the ages to this great army of martyrs. And of course, martyr just means witness, who are witnessing to Christ. They've spoken Greek, Latin, French, German, English, Japanese, Polish, many other languages besides. Think of Charles Luanga at the end of the 19th century from the heart of Uganda, who gives his life heroically for the faith. Yes, indeed, John truly saw where real power lies. And see, everybody, here's the challenge. There's the challenge. And it's a real challenge coming from this book. Which army do we fight with? Because you know, the successor of the Roman army, what's well, all around us today? It's, it's, it's all the expressions of worldly power. Do we fight with that army? Or do we fight with the army of the lamb standing as though slain? Do we join this great troop from across the ages and speaking a myriad of tongues? Do we join this army of martyrs? Can we say with Michel Corbin, the only true imperialism is the imperialism of the martyrs? And God bless you.
0: So again, thanks go to the Word and Fire Ministries for allowing us to play that recording today. And now we'll finish off this part of our podcast with a piece of music by the Maranatha Singers, and this one is entitled, I Want to Praise You, Lord.
4: more than I
0: Welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Kelly, And at this point of the program as we read and reflect on the Word of God. And before that, there's a prayer we always pray before reading and reflecting on Scripture. And I'll pray that for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your Spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may, tr- may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed, nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the Gospel for today, for the 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time, is taken from the Gospel of Luke. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him in pairs, to all the towns and places he himself was to visit. And he said to them, The harvest is rich, but the labourers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send labourers to his harvest. Start off now, but remember, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves." Carry no purse, no haversack, no sandals. Salute no one on the road. Whatever house you go into, let your first words be peace to this house. And if a man of peace lives there, your peace will go and rest on him. If not, it will come back to you. Stay in the same house. Take him what food and drink you have to offer, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not move from house to house. Whenever you go into a town where they make you welcome, eat what is set before you. Cure those in it who are sick, and say, The kingdom of God is very near to you. But whenever you enter a town, and they do not make you welcome, go into its streets, and say, We we wipe off the very dust of your town that clings to our feet, and leave it with you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is very near. I tell you that that on that day, it will not go as hard with Sodom as with that town. The seventy-two came back rejoicing. Lord, they said, even the de- devils submit to us when we use your name. He said to them, I watched Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Yes, I have given you power to tread underfoot serpents and scorpions and the whole strength of the enemy. Nothing shall ever hurt you. You do not rejoice, yet do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. So that's the gospel for today, is it the fourteenth Sunday in ordinary time? So when reflecting on the Gospel for today, the first few words uh, stood out for me. The Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them out ahead of him. They kept taking t- talking to me. The word appointed, the Lord appointed seventy-two others, sent them out. What I was thinking about there, what I heard really was the Lord appointed. We sometimes think we're going to go off on our own tangent and do our own work, thinking that's the work of the Lord. Without any thought at all to asking, maybe in prayer, what does the Lord want me to do? We appoint ourselves. In lecture, we're invited to take time and allow the Holy Spirit to speak with us and lead us. So if a thought comes to me about taking on some mission or project for the Lord, I need to listen to allow the Holy Spirit to confirm in some way this is the path I should take. Otherwise I might go off on what I I want done, how I want it done, which could end up with me teaching and leading others in the wrong direction. So I need to be clear. It is the Lord that appoints us to do something. It is the Lord who appoints us to work in his harvest. Father Frank asked us this week to ponder on the phrase the harvest is rich. That's the Lord's harvest. He asked us do we really see ourselves as labourers sent into the harvest at this time in the early 21st century? Do we take an active role in the life of the church or are we more inclined to take a passive role? Maybe just settle for saying a few prayers rather than getting involved. This week, I'm drawn back again to the first three words of today's Gospel. The Lord appointed. The Lord has appointed me to do what? Whatever the Lord has appointed me to do, He will give me what I need to do His will, His work. All He asks for me is my yes. So that about brings us to the end of our podcast for this week. Thank you again for joining me. Hopefully, next week, Shane will be back to, to give me a hand. But in the meantime, i are go with our final piece of music. I think it may be apt after listening to that gospel today. It's entitled Go Tallinn on the Mountains, and it's sung by Velma Jansen and Tom um, Kenzie. So next week, for myself, John Keeley. enjoy the week, and we'll speak again next week. God bless you now. Bye.